Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast for curious faith discussions. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, check out our discussion with Dr. Trevor Oregio on the history of African Christianity and the contributions of African intellectualism to Western theology. Moving forward through history, we're continuing our discussion with Dr. Reggio on the African-American religious experience. We also end our show today with a special guest appearance from Andrew Ashley, the director and producer of the documentary, The Wound. If you're not already following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, you can find us at the handle at AdventNext. My co-host today is once again, Michelle Odinma. You can follow her at Michelle Odinma Music. And as always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. So uh, one of the great contributions that black scholars have made to what we call Christian theology is their reflection on the meaning of slavery, the meaning of suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, as I said, what, the, what the, the black slaves did is they took elements of their, their African past, they took elements of this new religion brought by the whites, and they recalibrated and they essentially remade it into what we now call the African-American religious experience. Mm. It was a religious experience deeply rooted in suffering, in pain. Mm. But if you, if you notice, many of the great spirituals that we, we know are rooted in these deep, profound human emotions. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the very, the spirit of the song, you could sense it coming through. Yeah. But in the midst of all of this, these African-American worshipers always believe that ultimately they're going to triumph. Mm-hmm. You know, God was with them walking through uh, the valley of the shadow. Of the There's a famous uh, spiritual which talks about you got shoes, you know, he got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my shoes because at that time, the slaves didn't have any shoes. Wow. But they had the faith to believe that ultimately One day. they were going to experience all of the privileges and the, the resources that were now available to uh, their white counterpart in America. And, and so when you look at these songs, so the, 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 the power of their experience is rooted in those songs that they sing. And also, if you hear the sermons that are preached, the mm-hmm. black sermon has a, as a, as a, as a definitive form to it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a form in which uh, the black sees himself in the sermon. The preacher, it's a narrative form. It's a story form. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's expressive. It's painful at the same time, joyful. It has a mix of all of these emotions. Yeah. And also, one of the, the features of this black worship or black preaching is, is what I call commentary on this present situ- situation, what right. we call commentary on social justice. Yeah. You know, they, they believe that it was not simply enough to look forward to heaven, uh, but to also speak to the prevailing injustice in which they found themselves in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something we struggle with even as a church today. Yeah. People see social justice as something that it's taking away from the gospel, but they didn't... Oh, absolutely it. not. Yeah. And you have to understand that the black church was was the center of black life. Right. It happened there. Everything happened there. It was a library. It was where they met to discuss issues. Because remember now, they were excluded from many of the state institutions. So the black church was the heart of black life. And it continues to be, to some degree, in many black communities. Wow. There's a, a, a 
I was reading some history, and, and there's a, a guy named Grimke. Again, he was mixed race. His father was white. His uh, mother was African American. And he, you know, he really believed that one day, uh, if we just all kind of, you know, come under the unity of Christ, uh, and we, we come, we can become one brotherhood. And we wouldn't need all of this complexity of social justice. He really believed that, like, Jesus would be the answer. Is it that simple? Um, why or why not? Like, like, is that just what we need as a church, just to come together? Or is, is there a need uh, for social justice initiatives? Okay. Well, the situation is a lot more complicated than that. Because remember now, the, the black church or the church in America is also in uh, a particular cultural and historic context mm -hmm. that it finds itself in right here. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves the question, has America, has the American nation ever confronted uh, the horrendous evil of slavery yeah. and the persistent evil of racism? Yeah. Right. And they're not the same thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Racism is an ideology that is very much alive. It has reconfigured itself uh, over time. And so we, we know from Christianity that a person cannot address issues of reconciliation and forgiveness unless, first of all, they acknowledge sure. that they have committed a wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Has America ever acknowledged that? I doubt it. They must then confess right. their wrongs and then they have to repent. Yeah. These are the steps, acknowledgement, yeah. confession, and repentance. That has never really been done either by the American nation or the white, what I call, Christian church in America. Mm. Some of them have issued apologies. These things have to happen first before we get to reconciliation. Sure. Mm. You see, you can't really be forgiven of a sin that you don't think you committed. Right. right. You know? And we see even in the church, um, you know, a, a divide between black church and, and white church, even today in America. Yeah. And some people say, well, this divide or, or different conferences um, that people say, no, like we should all just be one church. Like, do you feel like there's still a, a necessity for that separation or is it something that, oh, no, we're ready to come together? Or well, well, I'll, I'll answer this question this way. Uh, the, 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 the formation of the black church was not because blacks necessarily wanted to form their own church. Sure, right. It grew out of a situation where they were being excluded from white churches, number one, or they were, while they were in the white church, they were being segregated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they were being excluded or segregated by white churches. And so this created the necessity for the formation of a black church. I think if you talk to most black Christians, they're open to, to uh, all races. Yeah. Yeah. Having said that, I think black people have come to recognize that ultimately their interests can only be served by their own leaders. Yeah. Uh, if history is any guide, you know, if we look at the, the last history of America, you know, if you simply leave it up to concern whites, yeah. you know, to be concerned about your own interests, it's never going to happen. Sure. So blacks understand that they have to take the initiative for their own welfare, their own wealth, spiritual well-being. And so because of that, I see the continual necessity of black leadership, black churches, and so forth. Until the great revival come and the Spirit makes us all one, uh, we, are, we will continue down this road, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, blacks, in order to, have to, to, to really move their work the way it should be, it essentially has to be done by black leadership. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and you, and you had mentioned like even in Adventism, our first missionary that we sent, we sent to yes. to Europe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we when we have in the South, we have a, a ton of slaves who could use ministering right. to, but we don't. That's not our first thought as yeah. Adventists. Yes. This is interesting. In, in the early beginnings of Adventism, in 1874, I think, we sent our first official missionary, Jane Andrews, of, for whom this university is named after. He went to Christian Switzerland. Mm. But what was happening in America? We had almost 3 million black slaves mm. in the South who needed everything. Yeah. They needed education. They needed Christ. They needed the gospel. Now, there were some groups that were sending down missionaries essentially to the south. Uh, that the Quakers? The, you know, the, 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 but there are Methodists, there are, there are several other groups, and they went there, established colleges for these poor. Remember now, they had just come out of 244 years of slavery. Right. They had nothing, no resources. They were uneducated, uh, unrefined. They needed everything. And what do we do as Adventists? We send a missionary to Europe. Wow. It, it shows the lack of vision mm. that we had of the great need. And in fact, if it were not for our prophet, Ellen White, who actually stood up and, and strongly encouraged the leadership to send someone to the South, mm. uh, even with that, they didn't. Mm. It was her son who took up the challenge and went there, and his own initiative. Uh, it shows how, you know, it seems as if our priorities were in the wrong place. Mm. Yeah. So how do we, you know, kind of move forward from here in our modern context with, um, you know, uh, white, white Christians thinking that, okay, we can all bridge together now. We kind of talked about it. Yeah. And then black people, you know, continuing with, we need black churches. Is there any way, and Kendra kind of alluded to it, that we can come together or do we still need Okay. Well, I think that on the church level, outside of the leadership level, on the church level, I think that groups of sincere black and white Christians need to start coming together and talking to each other about what's going on, having meaningful, ongoing dialogue about their situations. Let's get to know each other better. Sure. Uh, being an immigrant myself, I've sometimes been able to take myself out of the American situation, and I've identified two major problems here between black Christians. A lot of, and white Christians, some white Christians fail to acknowledge the wrong that has been inflicted on blacks historically in America. They don't want to deal with that. And of course, when it's brought up, it can create feelings of unease or even feelings of guilt. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to deal with that. Yeah. That's the white Christian. But the black Christians themselves, I notice, also have, uh, and this is just my own analysis of the situation, there's a lot of anger mm -hmm. that comes up. And uh, so on one hand, we have one group that doesn't want to acknowledge what has happened yeah. <laughs> and sometimes feeling very guilty about it. We have another group that's very angry and sometimes the anger is so intense that it it doesn't create an atmosphere for meaningful dialogue. Sure. So where do we go from there, here? So I would suggest that both groups need to do something. Right. Uh, white Christians need to, you know, prayerfully acknowledge, confess, and repent what has been done to blacks mm -hmm. and willing to talk about it. So w it, without any feelings of guilt or anything. Sure. Well, let me finish. And the, the black Christians, on the other hand, need to find a way of channeling the anger that they sometimes feel in more meaningful and productive ways so that some good can come out of all of this. 
And once we kind of reach a kind of equilibrium between two groups, I think we can see the way forward for reconciliation and peace between the groups. Sure. And I'm wondering the unity between, so you, you had abolitionists, right? And during the time of slavery and you had white abolitionists, obviously black abolitionists. Um, do you think that now um, white Christians combining or unifying with black people to push this message of reconciliation and you know forgiveness and wholeness is advantageous to communicate to other white Christians this message we need to unify on this platform. Yes, I, I think the, the big issue is perhaps who's going to take the initiative to do this and who's going to sustain it to its ultimate end or ultimate outcome. Yeah. Uh, there have been attempts made by various groups of Christians both blacks and whites, over the, the years, but I'm not sure how sustainable it has been. Ultimately, for me, I think that it's never really going to happen in its fullness until revival comes. Mm -hmm. When the Spirit comes in His fullness and He's able to break down all of the walls that separate us, mm. I think we will begin to see our brothers and sisters, whatever their color and race, as part of the same family. Uh, but it's going to require a lot of prayer, fasting. Uh, but the, the revival, I think, is something that we need to be praying for. But on the other hand, we should be doing everything humanly possible to bring it about. Mm. Something that, that you mentioned that is sticking with me and it stays in my head, you know, that kind of greed can blind you or self-interest blinded the early uh, white Christians to the injustice that they were doing to their black brethren. And I think about how even on the global scale today, it still happens, you know, that, that people enter into business ventures where there's human trafficking all over the world. People are being paid very, very low wages. I mean, we don't often think about our personal effect and the way that our purchase power or our companies or whatever it is that we're vested in, how it affects and can oppress and how we are contributing to other systems of oppression. And my, my question to you is like, how conscious should we be even in all of our actions um, today, you know, and, and, and ways that we cannot make maybe the same mistakes that early white Christians made towards their brethren? I think that uh, sometimes we become blinded to our own pain, our own little world in which we, we, we live. But the issues that you have just raised uh, go beyond just black oppression in America. Uh, there's evil in the world all over. And I think that uh, we should be concerned about injustice anywhere. Yeah. You know, what, what did Martin Luther says? Injustice what? Anywhere is a threat, threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. So uh, by being global in our concerns, uh, we have uh, sex trafficking, we have the abuse of women, uh, we have slavery all over, we have the abuse of workers. Our, is our issues also connect with these because it is the exploitations of human beings all over the world. And I think as, as spiritual leaders, we have a duty and the responsibility to speak to these evils wherever they are. Mm. I, I'm thinking and... I feel like so as Christians, uh, one mission that God has allowed us to be a part of, his mission is reaching out to other people and fighting for the oppressed and, just, and justice. And I think personally the connection I make is the lack of service that we sometimes do or that Christians sometimes do narrows their mind to understanding these other difficulties, these other obstacles and 
the history behind the hurt and the suffering. So mm. what do you think about that? The lack of service kind of closes our eyes to other things going on. We, we're not able to sympathize or understand or connect. Well, I'll give you uh, this community is a good example. Uh, we live, Barron Springs is in, uh, close to one of the poorest towns in all of Michigan. Yeah. You could live in Barron Spring in your little cocoon here, your little Adventist cocoon, and have no idea of the tremendous deprivation that's taking place in Benton Harbor. Yeah. So I think if we follow the model of Jesus, where he went and he, he visited with the poor and the outcasts and the disenfranchised, then we're able to have the capacity to be compassionate towards them. But if we are content to simply stay within our own environment, yeah. uh, we will never be aware of these particular issues. And I think this is a big problem with Adventists all over. Mm. Uh, we are not as connected with our surrounding communities and, uh, and aware of the issues that they are facing as we should be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So what would you like to kind of end this, this program? on? We, we went through a wide sweep of kind of uh, looking at uh, uh, the, the, the non-Western uh, history of Christianity, the African history of Christianity, uh, their con contribution to the Western intellectualism that we have today, uh, understandings of the Trinity and all that, and then how that, you know, the, the black experience, religious experience in America. What would you like to say to kind of maybe summarize it or any kind of points? Well, well I would say that um, our capacity for influencing the world is directly related to how united we are as a people, especially across the color line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when the world sees black Christians and white Christians joining hands together, worshiping together, doing service together, that becomes a convincing argument to them that there may be something about Christianity. Right. Uh, so for me, uh, this is a divine imperative. It's a necessity for us. Mm, yeah. uh, if we want to convince the world, I mean, if we want to convince the atheists and the non-believers right. of the genuineness of our faith, it's only going to happen. Right now, where the, some of them are laughing at us because they say, why would I want to join an organization where people are living separately, uh, you know, because of their skin color or their, their cultural views, I think the impact of the early church was based directly on that. When the world saw how united this, this group of people were, yeah. regardless of their culture, their language, their race, when they saw the, this power of unity that was experienced among the early church. If you recall in the book of Acts, it tells us that they, they would sell their goods and give to those who, who didn't have any. I mean, right. there was this spirit of love that pervaded the community of faith. And that becomes a powerful what magnet yeah. to draw people to the faith. And so right now our, our, our faith is being blunted uh, because of what's happening among us. But when we come together under one umbrella, under one banner, yeah. uh, I think that our impact will be very consequential. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's coming from someone who is mixed race. Like I... I see the importance of listening, you know, and really understanding uh, someone's side, you know, and I think that, 
the actionable thing somebody can walk away with today is say, how do we listen to the pain and hurt of others? And then if there's something that I can do, whether it's acknowledging that, whether it's a, a, if I have ownership in that to apologize, but to create that space for those dialogues to happen, it's so important and so key for us to move forward. Listening is one of the best forms of demonstrating love. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Michelle, you have any uh, last questions or comments you'd like to? I do have another question, but yeah. I, I don't know if we should reopen it back. Or, Please, just do. Um, so uh, just watching the recent case of the um, police officer that accidentally you know, shot her, her neighbor yeah. and just looking at the news about it, um, a comment was made that black people seem to always be the ones forgiving or always be the ones that have to forgive. And what do you think about that for, for the black Christian, for the black American experience, experience? Do you agree with that or do you think it's necessary? Um, well, unfortunately, historically, black people seem to be the ones that are primarily the victims. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, the the victimizer doesn't extend forgiveness. You know, it's the victim, unfortunately, who is sometimes called upon to initiate forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So I think you're dealing with a historic reality. But I think what grew out of that experience, though, was the beauty of that young man hugging that, that police officer. For me, it was such a, a painful experience to lose your brother, yeah. but then to actually reach across the aisles and embrace that police officer in a spirit of forgiveness. I think that the world saw a beautiful demonstration of what true Christianity is all about in that image. Mm. I, I, I walked away from it having a sense of hope, mm. even though something tragic had happened. Mm. So to end this episode, I wanted to bring on a special guest, Andrew Ashley, who is the director and producer of a documentary called The Wound, in which he investigates the history of race relations in the church, as well as what we are doing today to move the conversation forward. And so, I mean, I, I love what you've done uh, with, with wanting to really really spread some light on a specific topic. You know, we just finished talking with uh, Dr. Trevor Oregio, looking at the African-American religious experience in America, going back from the time of slavery and looking at how, you know, what did it mean to be both black and Christian during the time of slavery? You know, that, that here, you know, you have the call of the gospel uh, that's supposed to bring everyone under the same banner. You know, everyone is a sinner and everyone has salvation in Christ and we are to be one family under God, but then the societal reality places you in a hierarchical position where it's now slave and master. And so looking at that tension, it's something that hasn't entirely gone away. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, wanting to know kind of in your experience, what does that mean for you to be both black and Christian in this society? But first, I just want you to start off with talking about your documentary, The Wound, and how you got started. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, once again, Kendra, thanks for having me. I, I love your work. I love what you're doing. <laughs> and you're also a film filmmaker and you're doing a lot of cool stuff. So um yeah, I appreciate that. Um but yeah, uh so um the the project The Wound, the documentary, um that came out um almost two years ago. Um and uh kind of the the idea behind that uh was that at the time I was working at uh Adventist um institution of Southern Adventist University. And I was working as a recruiter. And uh, at that time, in the last year or so, 
uh, our university, our, our campus, had experienced a lot of racial tension. Um, there was a lot of different incidents um, that were happening. Um, and one of the biggest questions was, uh, in the, at least in the black communities, like, man, how do we, how do we handle this? Because most of the, the black students there, at least the, the, the community that I had, um, we were all Christians, right? And, um, you know, there was a lot of themes that we were thinking about when, when, we, when we think about conflict as Christians, like, oh, forgiveness, being patient, listening, um, trying to resolve issues, not letting the sun go down on your raft, you know, all that, that could just... Um, but at the same time, you know, at being black, really in America, is 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 such a it's almost like a political statement, right? Because like you know, there's so much that comes with being black, even today mm. in America. I think that one thing we struggle with as Christians, and I, you know, I, there's a lot of people that you can have on that that are experts in that area, and they can speak to that. But one thing I was struggling with as a as a young black man who also was a Christian was um, trying to figure out what was the best way to work with my white uh, community to kind of resolve some of the tensions we had. I mean, I didn't want to just, you know, ignore it. Yeah. Um, I don't have the privilege of ignoring it. Yeah. And I didn't want to also just attack them and kind of call, oh, you know, all these white people, they're the problem. You know, they're just, they just hate me. They're just all racist. I just didn't want to label them. And so one of the conversations I started to have is I just, you know, started to talk to a lot of my white friends and try to understand why we're, certain things happening? Why did they have certain ideologies? Why did they have certain different perspectives um, that I just couldn't relate to or understand? And what I found was that just a lot of them just didn't understand, right? A lot of them just didn't have the information that I had. And, you know, I knew why there was tensions. I knew why, okay, we have a regional conference, we have a state conference, and I knew why we had to have that. Um, but a lot of them didn't understand. They didn't, they didn't understand the history. They didn't understand the black experience in America or even in the Christian church. And so uh, from that, ap after I had that revelation, it was kind of like, okay, what if we made a film that kind of uh, just went through that, talked about the history of Adventism and race relations, talked about kind of what's been going on now, and then also discussing what we should do going forward. So yeah. that's kind of the story that may have been long-winded, but that's kind of the story behind yeah. um, or the motivation behind doing the, the documentary um, the wound. Yeah. yeah. What are some things that you discovered along the way, you know, as you're producing it? Like, what are some information that people can look forward to kind of, uh, you know, encountering if, if they watch the wound? And what did you take away from that particular experience? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things I took away was the importance of humility and um, listening, um, because even though I'm black and I'm a Christian and I grew up in this country and I felt like I knew a lot about not only um, what was the problem, but also how to s solve it? Um, man, I didn't know anything. Man, I, I we what what I was had the privilege of doing. I had the privilege of interviewing various different experts on the topic, both black and white. Um, I tried to spend a lot of time uh, speaking with uh, um, experts um, on this area who are, are black. You know, I went to Oakwood and talked to a lot of great people. I could go down the list, but you know, I don't have that that type of time. But um, it was just so inspiring to learn um, about. Uh, so sometimes we feel like we, we have to reinvent the wheel, like, oh, this, these are new issues. We have to, like, you know, figure them out. But this, it's all been documented. Uh, one of the biggest things you learn if you walk, watch the documentary is that, like, you know, these things, these conversations have been going on for a long time, even in the Adventist church. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of wrong, wrong there's a lot of wounds that have been made. 
And the biggest reason why we have the tension today is simply because we've always had the tension. It's not, nothing new has happened today. We've mm -hmm. always had these tensions. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I think the biggest thing that I took from um, doing the project is the importance of me spending the time to intentionally learn, uh, learn the history, um, learn from other people, their perspective, even other black people. You know, there's, there's you know, black people on our monolith. Like there's a lot of other black um, people who feel differently than I do about this topic, right? And so it was such a privilege to be able to learn from other communities, both black and white, about um, what has happened and what we need to do going forward. So I think the biggest thing I took away was like the importance of listening and having that conversation and not, you know, being too prideful um, and having that conversation. And for those who are listening and and kind of wanting to to know, like, what does it mean for you to be both black and Christian in America? Like, how do you navigate those two tensions, especially like we, we live in a country right now that's very politically divided, even racially divided uh, with the current administration. Uh, and, and, and yet we're still called to uh, be brothers with those who think very differently than us. So can you walk me through, like, in your own experience, what does that mean for you? Um, yeah, man, that's such a good question. I don't, I don't, uh, so in my own experience, it's, yeah. it's been, it's been a, a struggle. Um, you know, if, if I've, I've, the, the me in the documentary two years ago, even that person is a different person today. And I feel like in the last four years, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time, I'm trying to figure out, uh, what it does mean to be black and Christian. And there's been times that, you know, it's such a complex um, space to be in that there's been times that I've, I'll get really bitter. You know, I remember when the election happened in 2016. Um, yeah, I spent a, a few months just being really bitter towards a certain group of people. Um, that just was reality, you know. Um, and there was times where I, you know, just want to give up on the human race, right? You know, not even having forgiveness, just give up and just like kind of stay in my own circle. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that um, what it means for me right now, being black and being a Christian, for me is I've just had to come to the point where I just surrender uh, to uh, Christ and uh, allow him to help lead me in all my interactions and all my conversations. Cause I don't think there's a black and white like way to handle this, right? There's some people, I have some white friends who voted for Trump, for example. And uh, you know, this not to get political, but this is just something yeah. in my life. Yeah. And I'll have conversations with them. And you know, they'll start off saying like, oh, I don't get Black Lives Matter, all lives matter, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have a healthy conversation. And by the end of that conversation, they're like, dude, I completely hear what you're saying. This is great. Um, now I have a better understanding. Let's move forward. And that's like really exciting. But then I have other conversations with people and have the same type of approach where they don't end that way. And so um, as far as like how d does, you know, and I remember when I was even a student, I would have other peers and even younger students who would come to me and say, hey, dude, how do we, <laughs> how do we navigate this, right? How do yeah. we become Christian? How do we behave as Christians, be loving and caring and be slow to anger, all those good jazz, but also be able to put up with uh, 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 the injustice that happens to our community? Um, you know, how do we do that? And I think that recently, uh, you know, just to bring it to something recent, you see the case of, um, what was the police officer, the female poli police officer, the Amber 
Geiger, I believe her name was, after uh, she was uh, found guilty and she was sentenced, um, the the family, not all the family, but the, the brother of the young man who was killed, he went on, on the stand um, and one of his final statements was like, hey, it's because I'm a Christian, I want to forgive, um, you know, Amber and I want to hug her and I want to, you know, I just want to let her know that God loves her, right? But what's so fascinating about that is I believe her mother and there's some other people in the family that like didn't feel that type of way, yeah. right? And there was a lot of people in the black community. It was a big conversation we had. It was like, oh man, we're, we're Christians, but yeah, no, but she should serve more time because there's other people that, you know, and it was like just a really difficult conversation to have. And so I, I don't, you know, to answer your question, I don't know if there's one way that a black Christian looks like in 2019, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think it's a really challenging topic. And, and, and I feel like we're all still trying to figure out how to, how to navigate that. Well, I appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing and trying to create spaces for these conversations to happen, to kind of dive into the research and just even sharing your own experience. Because I think people hearing this, you know, whether you're white or black or of other minority groups, like to really understand that these are tensions that are mm -hmm. happening and that, that uh, everyone's kind of, you know, what if you're a woman, and a Christian, or if you're a black woman and a Christian, or if, you know, what does it mean to hold those two tensions in a society that is not, uh, you know, the New Jerusalem? I want to ask you a question though about this. Okay, is that, am I allowed to do that? Sure, sure. I'm gonna press record again. I just didn't want to like stay in the moment because I didn't know you'd be like, no, you're not supposed to. No, no, go ahead. Okay, so I, 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 once again, I know you're usually not the one being interviewed, but I'm really curious because I mean, you are also black. Um, right, or at least, I don't know how exactly you identify, I don't want to put that on you, but I know, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about this, but you're, you know, your father is white and, you know, you identify as black to a certain extent at, very, at the very least. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts about what it means to be a black person or a person of a color and a Christian at the same time. Right. Um, and you have a unique experience because you, you have, you know, you're, you're, you're navigate both worlds. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. No, and I, I tend to identify myself as mixed. Okay. Um, you know, my mom is Afro Panamanian and my dad is white. And so I'm kind of, you know, I, I want to be conscientious of even in, in my identity to not be strongly one or the other, because mm -hmm. I, I do see myself as a byproduct of both. It's a very interesting place, uh, for me, someone who is mixed race and coming to the conversation because I, I see it within my own DNA as being a peacemaker, right? Like I'm, I'm having to bridge two worlds mm. together. And, and I've always seen that as kind of my, a part of my identity and a part of what I do to help kind of bring understanding from the white community and the Latino and African-American community and to bring them together because it's a part of who I am. Like I actually don't feel at peace knowing that there is that tension uh, or at least at least, you know, people in my community, people that I have an immediate contact with, you know, to try and help them understand uh, both sides. And so helping to facilitate that conversation has always been something that I've wanted to, I feel like I, I need to do um, and that I want to do because it's just a part of who I am. Like I, I am those two worlds. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. So that, that is, I think is really important that the people like I, I I believe this I think this you know yeah. people may disagree but I, I think it's really important that that people like you who are mixed which I love what you said there like you know because a lot I think a lot, a lot of times 
us, like other people who aren't mixed. We try to have people who are mixed choose, like, hey, no, are, are you black or are you white? You know, you got to choose a side. And I really like what you said about, hey, it's it's kind of your calling, right? Like you've been put in this position where it's it's kind of your calling to work to kind of mend the two um, because you're part of, part of both both of those worlds. Um, so um, I think I think people like you are vital to this conversation, and I, I hope that you can continue to contribute to it because, um, we, like I said, we need people like you. Um, so yeah. Stay tuned for next week as we explore the Trinity and the development of Trinitarian theology throughout the history of the church. We'll also provide some book recommendations if you'd like to further your study on the topic. Thanks once again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, and thank you for taking the time to listen in. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at AdventNext. See you next week.